right. Well, I want to start out this morning with a question. And it's this. Does a person have to receive the Apostle Paul in order to be a Christian? Does a person have to receive the Apostle Paul in order to be a Christian? And in many ways, this is the fundamental question behind the letter to the Corinthians, the second letter that we've been going through together as a church. And I think all of us initially would respond, absolutely not. I receive Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. That's what makes me a Christian. And you'd be absolutely right. After Paul left Corinth, there were teachers who rose up into the pulpit and began to proclaim things like, Paul didn't die on the cross for you. Paul can't save you from your sins. Paul isn't your Lord and Savior. You don't have to listen to Paul. There's a game that uh, we used to play in college, Three Truths and a Lie. We know that there are three truths and a lie that are being proclaimed there, but I don't know that very many of us would be, be able to articulate why that last statement is in fact a lie from the pit of hell. You see, in Paul's physical absence from the church at Corinth, these teachers began to come in, false teachers speaking condescendingly of Paul, his frail appearance. His unimpressive speech, he's so meek and he's so mild and he's unenlightened. He has this backward understanding of Christian ethics. And then they begin to teach the church. Oh, Paul, just ignore that guy. As long as you have Jesus, that's all that matters. I know Paul keeps sending these letters, but you can just ignore that guy. He's long gone. All you need is Jesus. And nothing has changed in Paul's physical absence over the past 1900 years since that time in Corinth. Year after year, generation after generation of Christians, there always seems to be those teachers and theologians and preachers who rise up in the church and say, all you need is Jesus. You don't need to bother with the letters of Paul. People still love to denigrate, downgrade, caricature, and ignore him. Thomas Jefferson wrote, Paul was the first corrupter of the doctrines of Jesus. Founding father. Robert Frost, the famous 20th century American poet said, Paul, he's in the Bible too. He's the fellow who theologized Christ almost out of Christianity. Look out for him. There's a movement led by uh, Shane Claiborne and Tony Campolo called the Red Letter Christians who proclaim... The red letters are the most important parts of Scripture because Jesus, quote, raised the moral standard. The implicit argument is that the red letters, the words actually said by Jesus, the ones in red, are more important than the black letters, primarily all the black letters in Paul's epistles. Popular Christian feminist Jory Micah sums it up in this way. Jesus' words are our primary source. Paul's words are our secondary source. Secondary sources are great. 
but not as great as primary sources. Jesus is essential, they're saying. Paul is optional. Jesus gives commands. Paul gives what you can consider light suggestions. Is that how all of this works? Throughout 2 Corinthians, the throbbing heartbeat behind this letter that we've been emphasizing, we've been seeing as the main theme of this book is simple. Paul's appeal is three words. Enlarge your hearts. Brothers and sisters, enlarge your hearts. Make room in your hearts for us, he says in chapter 7. We have spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Our heart is open wide. In return, widen your hearts to us also. Enlarge your hearts. And what Paul is pleading with us is this. If you have made room for Jesus in your heart, you have to make room for Paul in there too. We're going to unpack that this morning. If you've made room in your hearts for Jesus Christ, you have to make room there for Paul as well. Let's turn together to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. I believe it's on page 1231 or 32 in your blue pew Bible. If you don't have your Bible, I'd encourage you to grab the one from the back in front of you. I'll give you a moment to turn there. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Ultimately, this is the question that we're getting at. It's the one that we raised at the beginning. It's the one uh, that these other folks have raised. If I receive Jesus Christ, do I also have to receive Paul? If I receive Jesus, do I have to receive Paul too? Well, let's stand together as we receive the very words of Jesus Christ. Through his appointed minister, the Apostle Paul, inspired by the Spirit, bestowed on us by the grace of the Father. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, beginning in verse 7. Look at what is before your eyes. If anyone is confident that he is Christ's, let him remind himself that just as he is Christ's, so also are we. For even if I boast a little too much of our authority, which the Lord gave for building you up and not for destroying you, I will not be ashamed. I do not want to appear to be frightening you with my letters, for they say, His letters are weighty and strong, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech of no account. Let such a person understand that what we say by letter when absent, we do when present. Not that we dare to classify or compare ourselves with some of those who are commending themselves, but when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, they're without, without understanding but we will not boast beyond limits, but we but will boast only with regard to the area of influence God has assigned to us to reach even to you. For we're not overextending ourselves as though we did not reach you, for we were the first to come all the way to you with the gospel of Christ. We do not boast beyond limit in the labors of others, but our hope is that as your faith increases, our area of influence among you may be greatly enlarged so that we may preach the gospel in lands beyond you without boasting of work already done in another's area of influence. Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. 
For it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. Amen. You may be seated. As we begin this morning in chapter 10, verse 7, Paul is done beating around the bush. He's not ashamed to raise the issue that uh, precipitated this letter. He grabs us by the collar, he grabs the Corinthians by the collar, and he shakes them and he says, Look at what's going on in front of your eyes. If anyone is confident that he is Christ, let him remind himself that just as he is Christ's, so also are we. Open your eyes, he says. You who love to judge and compare based on appearances are so blind to what's going on here. This is the real issue. If you belong to Christ, you will plainly see that we do as well. I don't think there's anyone in this room who can more confidently say that they belong to Jesus than the Apostle Paul did. Paul was on his way, destroying the church, breathing out murderous threats on the streets, leading to Damascus, and Acts chapter 9 tells us, on his way to arrest Christians, he saw a blinding light from heaven. And Jesus Christ, he saw seated on the throne, and he heard the audible voice of Jesus say, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul, also known as Paul, falls to the ground and he says, who are you, Lord? And I don't think the book of Acts records that for Paul's interest. I think Saul knew exactly who he was talking to, but for us. He says, I'm Jesus Christ whom you are persecuting. Who here, when you became a Christian, physically laid eyes on the risen, enthroned Jesus who's in heaven and then heard that Jesus audibly speak to you and claim you as his own? Anyone here? Listen to what Jesus told the church about Paul in Acts 9.15. He is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. Paul says, why don't you look at the matter at hand, friends? Let's consider it together. If we receive Christ, don't we have to receive his chosen instrument? His ambassador, as Paul calls himself in chapter 5. If we receive Christ, we must receive Paul as well. And so Paul this morning expounds that in three different ways for us. Number one, firstly, if we receive Christ, we must receive Paul's authority. If we receive Christ, we must receive Paul's authority. Let me read to you again verse 8. For if even I boast a little too much of our authority, which the Lord gave for building you up and not for destroying you, I will not be ashamed. You see, what qualified Paul to be an apostle of Jesus Christ was not his money, was not his eloquence, or his power, was not his impressive presence, or his great administrative skills, or his talent, or his genius, or even his experience, or his connections, or his likability, or his self-righteousness. What qualified Paul to have the authority as an apostle is simply this. 
The Lord Jesus gave it to him. The Lord Jesus gave it to him. Our authority, he says, which the Lord gave. That's it. To reject the authority of Paul is to reject the Jesus Christ who gave that authority to him. As an ambassador of Christ, he has been invested with the authority of the one he represents. Paul understood the gravity and purpose behind the authority he'd been given. He says, the Lord gave me this authority to build you up, to encourage you, not to tear you down, not to destroy. Fellow Christian, when you and I resist Brother Paul, we are resisting the man who has devoted his entire life to suffer, to be persecuted, to be absolutely destroyed so that we might be built up. Paul writes to the Corinthians, Now I rejoice in my suffering for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of His body that is the church of which I became a minister according to the stewardship that was given to me for you. And then he says, Jesus Christ, we proclaim, warning everyone, teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. All the suffering, all the labors, all the effort, he is exercising the authority, the stewardship given to him for our sake. And he exercises this authority from Jesus in two particular ways, through his letters and through his appearance. His letters and his appearance. If we're going to receive Christ, that means we've got to receive Paul's authority, and that comes to us in the presence of his letters. He writes in verse 9, I do not want to appear to be frightening you with my letters. So his opponents apparently are saying, you can disregard Paul's letters. They're just scare tactics. He's just, it's just empty veiled threats. He's trying to, he's trying to scare you into uh, giving him more authority than he deserves. It's all a mind game. Verse 11, Paul corrects such a person. He says, let such a person understand that what we say by letter when absent, we do when present. Paul says, if you think that my letters are just scare tactics, you will be sorely mistaken on the day of my visitation. You know what? The Apostle Paul is never going to come walking through the back of our church door. We do have a much more awful, awesome, and fearful visitation awaiting every single one of us one day. On the day that Jesus comes back, will you be prepared and ready to explain why you rejected his hand-chosen, hand-selected, appointed, authorized apostle? Why you scoffed at the letters of Paul, which were dispatches sent from his heavenly throne to his church? You may retort, but Jesus, I'm a red-letter Christian. I focused on all the red letters, you know, in the Gospels, all the things that you said. To which I, I can just picture Jesus responding, Have you not listened to the words of my servant Paul who said, All scripture is breathed out by God? Not just the red ones? 
Every letter in the entire Bible is the word of Jesus Christ. Every letter is a red letter, whether in Leviticus or Luke, whether in Revelation or Romans. Let's just pause for a moment, and we just need to address some, maybe a misconception some of us have. You all realize Jesus didn't physically write any of the words in the entire Bible. They all come to us, written by some human being. Jesus didn't record any of his sermons. He didn't write down any of his own sayings. He didn't chronicle any of his miraculous works. Instead, you know what he did? He brought 12 disciples along with him to witness it all. And then to write it down. And to pass it down to us under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. After he died on the cross and raised from the dead, he appears to his disciples on the mountain and he says to them, All right, here's your job now. The past three years, what you've seen, what you've heard, you will be my witnesses. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians that he also appeared to me as one untimely born. So if you've received Jesus as revealed in the four Gospels, you're receiving it based on the eyewitness testimonies of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and, and the other eyewitnesses that are enclosed there. Paul is one of the gang. He's an apostolic witness too. He exercises his authority not through writing a Gospel, but through writing epistles, letters. Just as we can't choose which statements of Jesus we want to pick and choose to obey in the Gospels, we can't pick and choose which statements of Paul in the epistles we're going to obey. Secondly, so Paul exercises his authority, number one, through his letters. He exercises it through his appearance. Listen to verse 10. For they say, his letters are weighty and strong, but his bodily appearance... His bodily presence is weak and his speech is of no account. As I was studying this passage, I, I found this taunt to be so eerily familiar. Something about it just, just felt like this, the spirit of something I had heard before. And, and I think this is what it reminded me of. You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Save yourself. If you're the son of God, come down from the cross. He saved others. He cannot save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down from the cross and we will believe in him. It's the mockery that was lobbed at Jesus as he hung feeble, weak on the cross. You see, what Jesus was showing us is that the kingdom of God is not ruled by the top dog. It's not a place where alpha males nudge one another off the top of the hill. It's not a pride where the strongest lion is king. The lion that sits on the throne of our kingdom is a slain lamb. The strength of God is made perfect in weakness. You see, Paul wielded the authority of Christ's kingdom through his appearance, through his weak, feeble presence. And sometimes the ministers of God have to be reminded over and over again how weak and feeble they really are. I can bear witness to that. You know, this church has made it financially through the past almost six years. And uh, in large part to the generous giving of my father-in-law. 
Do you know what that does to the psyche of a young, proud minister? That his father-in-law sees his ministry and his church as a charity case. And when his family and his friends and his old acquaintances look at what's going on at College Street Baptist Church from the outside in, they feel a sense of pity for me. I praise God that I am a charity case. I praise God for all the other charity cases that are here along with me. None of us deserve the overflow of the grace of God, and yet Jesus Christ came down from heaven and he hung on a cross. And when he had sunk to the lowest place in the whole of history, the lowest man of all mankind, still from there he looked down on us and felt pity and compassion. Because we all are charity cases in the eyes of Jesus. In the moment of his greatest weakness, Jesus was exercising his authority over sin and death for us. You see, friends, Jesus Christ is most seen and glorified in your life when you're obedient, not out of great strength, but when you're obedient and you submit to his authority and you follow him in the midst of great weakness. Whether you've been given authority as a mom or a dad or a husband or a teacher, leader, a boss, whatever measure of authority God has portioned out to you, Realize that Jesus Christ calls you to exercise that authority in the same way that he did for us. In the appearance of great weakness. Which brings us to our second point this morning. If we receive Christ, we must also receive Paul's influence. So we receive Christ, we've got to receive Paul's authority. Secondly, we've got to receive Paul's influence. It seems that the uber-apostles, the super-apostles that Paul is going to mention later on in the letter, didn't grasp this whole thing about the ministers of God being feeble and weak. And the whole weakness is strength thing. In fact, listen to how he describes them in verse 12. Not that we dare to classify or compare ourselves with some of those who are commending themselves But when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, they're without understanding. The picture here reminds me of one of my favorite documentaries, the 1977 classic Pumping Iron, starring Arnold Schwarzenegger and Lou Ferrigno. Most of the movie, as you can probably imagine, is just a bunch of guys in front of the mirror flexing and looking at each other and sizing one another up and getting oiled down and lubed up and then going out on stage and just trying to flex in front of the oohs and the ahs of the audience. It's fantastic entertainment. (laughs) But it is not how you gain influence in the church. The pulpit is not the place for some kind of bizarre bodybuilding pastoral bodybuilding competition. It's not a place where you you try to flex your rhetorical muscles in front of an audience by quoting fancy scholars or using big words. It's not the place to flex your gifts telling stories where you just always happen to be the hero of the story. Funny how that works. 
It's not a place to flex your authority where you yell and you pound and you holler your own opinions as though they were the Word of God. It's not a place to flex your spirituality, speaking down to those in the congregation as though you were, they're so lucky that you graced them with your presence, that you've come down from Mount Sinai for a brief moment. Looking down on the lesser thans in the Christian life. A church that clings to the meekness and the humility of a servant king who would lay down his life to serve his people. Who week after week proclaim a king who hung on a tree in order to defeat sin and death will fill its pulpits with meek and mild and weak and broken men. Men like Paul. If we receive Christ, we must receive Paul's influence. Verse 15. We do not boast beyond limit in the labors of others, but but our hope is that as your faith increases, our area of influence among you may be greatly enlarged. You see, the reason that we receive the influence of Paul and men like Paul is, number one, because of Paul's measure, and secondly, because of Paul's ministry. The word that Paul uses here, influence. Is the word for a ruler, a measure, a standard. What Paul's saying is he doesn't measure himself by flexing in the mirror next to other pastors and sizing them up and trying to see is he bigger, is he stronger, is he more eloquent than them. Paul's measure, verse 13, is this. We will not boast beyond limits, but we will boast only with regard to the area of influence, the measure God assigned to us. To reach even to you. So how does Paul measure himself? Not against other pastors, not against other missionaries or ministers or even other Christians. No, he stands against a measuring rod held up by God himself. That's the standard. Men and women who try to exert influence on the worldly stage, do you know what they do? They compare themselves to other people and they try to seek the approval of men. Men and women like Paul who have been granted influence on the heavenly stage only seek to please their Master and Lord Jesus Christ. Paul's influence isn't based on human applause but upon God's bestowal which is both freeing and humbling. Because Paul's not trying to be popular with the Corinthians or any other church which is freeing. He's simply trying to say what Jesus would have him say also humbling because he's not going to be ultimately held accountable to a human standard. But when his day is done, he knows he's going to be held up to the measuring rod of God. Which is humbling. We receive Paul's influence because of Paul's measure and Paul's ministry. Verse 14. For we're not overextending ourselves as though we did not reach you. For we were the first to come all the way to you with the gospel of Christ. Do you know what? I would bet that there is not a single person here who has become a Christian, who has come to faith in Jesus Christ without the words of Paul. When you pray to receive Christ, tell me that someone wasn't using one of these verses to encourage you to believe in Jesus. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. 
But God shows His love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. If you confess your sin, you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. Do you know where all those come from? That's the Romans road. Do you know who wrote the book of Romans? Paul did. Chances are every single one of us on the day that we received the gospel the first time, we received it from Paul. And if you haven't, those words are for you this morning. The Apostle Paul says, I came ministering the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why I'm here. And if you haven't received it this morning, you need to believe. You need to confess with your mouth and believe in your heart and trust in Jesus as proclaimed in the ministry of Paul. So, if we receive Christ, then we have to receive Paul's authority. If we've received Christ, we must receive Paul's influence. And finally, and this is where the rubber meets the road, if we receive Christ, we must further Paul's mission. Verse 16, Paul sets up a comparison. Listen to verse 16 again. So that we, we may preach the gospel in lands beyond you without boasting of work already done in another's area of influence. Let me help you read between the lines here. Paul is kind of subtweeting. He, he's, uh, he, he's talking about people behind their back. And if you know what he's talking about, uh, then it really stings. Here's what he's saying. He's saying those guys who are taking turns in the pulpit at Corinth, getting up and flexing their muscles and talking about how weak and frail I am and criticizing my ministry, they are just cowardly poachers. Because who planted that church? Paul says, we all know the answer to that. I did. Who did the hard work of sharing the gospel in a city that had never heard of Jesus before and baptized the first converts and spent a year and a half discipling them and helping them to establish a church and making sure they had pastors and elders before he left? I did. And now these guys just want to come in and do the easy part. Poach on the hard work and influence of someone else. These poachers want to come in and boast of work already done in another's area of influence. <clears throat> we all know whose area of influence Corinth is Corinthians. Paul says, who's me? Sadly, many ministers in many churches are just poachers today. Poachers can serve resources. Poachers gather members from other churches. Po- poachers are all about building up their own brand and elevating their own pulpit benefiting from the hard work of other people. And this is the heart of the matter. The problem is that poachers in ministry are satisfied with what has already been attained. We don't need to see any other people come to Christ. We just need to gather more Christians into our church. It's alright if we don't baptize anybody, baptize anybody for the next five years or send any missionaries. What is important is that we build a new church building. Poachers are satisfied to boast in someone else's hard work. Someone else can send missionaries. Someone else can reach the lost. Someone else can reach the poor. And when they do, we'll get them to join our church. 
Paul says, that's not me. Paul is not a poacher. He's a pioneer. And it is our job, if we've received Christ, to further the mission of Paul. Listen to his pioneer zeal in verse 16. So that we may preach the gospel in lands beyond you. There's something fundamentally wrong with a ministry that is satisfied only to poach. There is something fundamentally right with a church that has the zeal to pioneer a mission. Think about this. If you believe that every man and woman is born a sinner, do you realize that every new generation is uncharted territory? Every single human being born into this world is someone who has not been reached with the gospel. If even one generation of Christians failed to have this pioneering mindset, the church would disappear. Christianity would disappear from the face of the earth. We all have to be gospel pioneers. We can't simply expect growth from the efforts of somebody else. Finally, if we're going to further Paul's mission, we have to understand Paul's purpose. People lack zeal because they don't understand the purpose that God has given to them. Men who are content only to poach have no desire to see the nations saved. It's a burning zeal in the heart of a man. It's the burning zeal in the heart of a woman that people are dying every day. And we're not just talking about on the other side of the world. We're talking about here in Newberry. In our communities. In our neighborhoods. In the neighborhoods just across the railroad tracks. In our nursing homes. In our schools. People are dying and departing to an eternal hell separated from God forever. When this takes hold of your heart and you really believe what you say you believe, then you understand what your purpose is. It's to further the mission. It's to take the gospel to those people. You cannot be satisfied with present attainment. You have got to take the gospel to people who are lost in a dying world. You must be a pioneer because the love of Christ has taken control of your heart. And the truth that the means of salvation has been given to you, it's been passed into your hands, and Paul says, who are you going to pass it off to? You have to be a pioneer. Brothers and sisters, there is a plague like the one in Numbers 16. Spreading across the whole earth. And like Aaron, you have been given a censer filled with the pleasing aroma of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ himself. And Jesus looks at you and he says, People are out there dying. You better run. You better get going. Will you not sprint? Will you not pioneer with all of your might to take this good news to the ends of the earth? Brothers and sisters, Paul understood what was happening in his ministry. He was standing between the dead and the living. That plague in number 16, Aaron runs into the midst of the people as they're dying and it says, he stood there and on one side were the dead and on the other were the living. Do you know how many died before he got there? 14,600. I wonder how many more would have died if he had dallied around. 
how many people in this world are dying, going to hell, because Christians are satisfied to dally around like poachers, unwilling to join Paul in his mission, pioneering to the ends of the earth. Because ultimately our purpose is to fill the whole earth with the glory of Jesus Christ. Paul says, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. How can you and I do that if we're not a part of the mission? If we aren't training and sending missionaries and church planters, if we aren't going as missionaries and church planters and evangelists, if we receive Christ, we must receive Paul's authority. If we receive Christ, we must receive Paul's influence. And if we have received Christ, then we will join in furthering Paul's mission. What will the Lord Jesus say of us? What will he say of you on the day when he returns? For it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we ask that you by your spirit would empower us to receive the encouragement of Paul to submit to the authority you've given him in writing Holy Spirit-inspired words, not words that originated in his thoughts, but in the mind of God. That his influence would grow among us even as we grow in our faith. God, we pray, send us from these four walls into mission to the ends of the earth with a pioneering mindset, recognizing our purpose, Lord Jesus, is to boast greatly in you. In your name we pray. Amen.